Holy Spirit. Amen. You may be seated. As I said earlier, today we're going to take a look at a parable, but over the next three weeks, we're going to be taking a look at a series of kingdom parables that Jesus tells. But to understand parables, I want you first to understand my own love of science fiction. Science fiction is arguably my favorite genre of media, uh, right up there with fantasy. And I think there are two people in the world. There are people that love science fiction and people who don't understand science fiction. Only two people in the world. And what I love about science fiction is it has a way to, to get past some of the obstacles or barriers we put up to actually being changed by something. Lewis, C.S. Lewis, puts his finger on this. C.S. Lewis is well known for some Christian books he's written, like Mere Christianity. He's, he's famously known for the Chronicles of Narnia series. But he also wrote a little-known space trilogy. And it, it's one of my favorite books and, and series that he's written. And he really loved science fiction because he understood it had a way to change hearts. And this is what he said about it. He said, if good novels are comments on life, good stories of this sort, science fiction, which are very much rare, are actual additions to life. They give like certain rare dreams sensations we never had before and enlarge our conception of the range of possible experience. This is what he's saying. He would talk about the fact that while he was an author, science fiction became in vogue. People wrote science fiction for the very fact that people were buying it up. When the forest was no longer a place of adventure and people wrote about the sea and all these other foreign lands and islands, eventually the world had been pretty well discovered. So the next frontier, as Star Trek would teach us, was space. And so people would write it and he's like, if you put a love story in space that could very well be put in Elkhart, or New York City, or London. It's just drivel. It's garbage. But what sci-fi does, it can, it can <clears throat> take those ideas we have firmly planted in our heart and kind of like tunnels underneath them and gets behind our defenses and has the ability to change our hearts, to impact us. Perhaps you've encountered a story of any sort that has done that to you, made you see the world in a new way. This is what parables do. If you have eyes to see and ears to hear. They force us to see the world in a new way. Think about this. Jesus is trying to explain to us infinite ideas to a finite mind with finite words. And so he uses these parables, and many may not understand, but he's trying to teach us heavenly truths. Some of the dangers can be we overanalyze these, but I think to just simply look at the one we have today, Matthew 13. We have this picture of a generous, or you could even call him a careless sower. No farmer would walk down the path, just the street, throwing his seed out, hoping something will happen. He would plant it very specifically in, in his field. But today, we have this, this sower who throws it everywhere, down on the path where the birds come and eat it, in the rocky soil where there's not enough to, to really grab on for, the, for the, the, the seed to really grab onto anything, the roots to grab on. So when the sun comes, it just scorches and kills it. Or the thorns that, that rise up. Growing up, we'd have these creepy Charlies in our gardens. My mom would have us try to rip these out of the garden. They would like wrap around your flowers and plants like a boa constrictor. And they were the worst things ever. Many, many flower bit the dust because of those. Um, and then you have the rich soil where it's fruitful and it's growing. And I told you these were kingdom parables, but interesting enough, 
Jesus today doesn't begin with the kingdom of heaven is like. We're going to hear that a lot the next couple weeks. But we get the idea of the kingdom as he explains it then to the disciples. That that seed that was planted is like those who hear the word of God, the word of the kingdom, and then do what's next. The word of the kingdom. The word of the kingdom that Isaiah talked about in Isaiah 55 this evening. As the Lord said, My word shall not return to me void, but shall do my will, achieving the end for which I sent it. Now in the beginning, everything was without form and void. But God used his word to give form to all we see even today. To give form that when he said, let there be light, light was. To give form to the earth and to the sky and to the seas and everything we know. And then he spends the next three days of creation filling the void, populating it. By, by giving us the sun and the moon and the stars and by giving us the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and those who walk on ground and slither and man himself. God creates with his word. He sends it out and we have the creation. And this very power of words to create was given to us too. Words are fascinating because they can be either descriptive or creative. Words can, we use descriptive words all the time. The, the pew is brown. You are all lovely. Right? I'm describing something I see. But words are, have creative powers too. And we all know this. Have you ever spoken words or received words that changed how you felt? That brought you joy or sadness or anger or, or elation? Right? Words become reality like when a groom and a bride look at each other and say, I do. And that marriage is formed. Or, or someone I was listening to this week used sports. He said, in baseball, an umpire's word is creative. He does not describe what he sees when he says out. He changes reality. When he says, you're out, you're out. It becomes a truth. A few years ago, there was an almost perfect game. Maybe you're, maybe you're aware of this. And it was the last out of the game. And the runner was out by a mile, and the umpire said, safe. And so it's not a perfect game, is it? And that umpire single-handedly became a news story for weeks and months and even years. And I, I would argue has, has significantly impacted trivial pursuit for generations to come. Who was the umpire that made the wrong call and blew a perfect game? It's going to be in there. Words have the power to affect our reality. How much more the Word of God? How much more the Word of God that took on flesh? Hear those words of Isaiah and think of Jesus for a moment. My word shall not return to me void. The Word of God, Jesus, enfleshed did return to the Father. We talk about that on ascension. But he did not return void. Hear what he says next. But shall do my will. Jesus says in the garden, not my will, Lord, but your will, or Father, but your will be done. Achieving the end for which I sent it. For what reason did God send his only begotten son to die and rise again that we may have life and be inheritors of eternal life to be his sons and daughters. A truth he speaks upon us that makes it real. 
The Word in flesh does exactly what Isaiah is talking about. That very Word of the kingdom that we heard about today in the parable. That Word that He casts everywhere. On the path and in the, the rocky soil and in amongst the thorns. He casts His Word everywhere. A Word of great power. As Jesus proclaims this word and is the word embodied, Jesus doesn't describe the way things are in this parable. When he speaks, he changes the way things are. That powerful word that planted a seed of faith within your heart, that every day thereafter the devil is doing everything he can to devour it, to undermine it. To be the bird that, that plucks it off the path and eats it before it can even start to take root. Or after you've been in the faith for a little bit and you're so joyful and everything's really, really great, but then you get struck by a tragedy and another and another and you sit there and you're like, God, why would you let this happen? If you're real, if you're good, where are you? And it's in trouble or tribulation or even persecution that we fall away. Or we, we sprouted roots and, and we've grown a little bit, but the thorns of this life are too much. Worldly anxiety. Many of us are very anxious right now and that anxiety can be, be paralyzing that you don't even know what to do. You don't know what you're supposed to do. And so you want to, you see the world is all going up in flames and you want to fix it all and you can't do anything. And so you just sit there scared. And it's like the nutrients to bear fruit are being sucked up by all the things, the thorns of this world, and there's not enough to truly grow. We're worldly riches. We become so gorged on the things of this, this world and, and chasing after them and trying to be, be fed by them, not realizing that they're actually sucking away the life that Jesus has promised us. And so we bear no fruit. Every step of faith is a challenge. Every day of faith is a struggle. It's probably easiest for us to find ourselves planted in the soils that are less than ideal. Not often do we find ourselves in the rich soil. But hear me again, the Word of God doesn't describe our reality. It creates it. Could you imagine like looking at the farm field across the street? Could you imagine trying to transplant that entire field to a new place? It'd be, it'd be impossible. That's, I think, sometimes what it's like for us to think about being anywhere. But, but when Jesus talks about rich soil, he's not describing what he sees in your heart. He's creating rich soil there for faith to grow. He's creating that reality. He's working on you as you hear and receive his word. And it's an ongoing process until we're with him again. It's his word that makes your heart the rich soil. There is grace and mercy and forgiveness. And the whole world speaks of this. A world of life and abundance growing 
multiplying. His word is everywhere. We can see it even as we walk out these doors. And it brings us hope because we know what we are meant for even as we struggle through the pains of sin. This is why Paul said in Romans 8, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are as nothing compared with the glory to be revealed for us. Amen. Paul gets it. Paul gets it. I consider the troubles of the path and the thorny ground and the thorn-ridden rocky soil, whatever it may be, I consider the troubles of all that nothing. Nothing. Compared to the rich soil that Christ has promised to cultivate within my heart, that it may bear fruit unthinkable. It's all his work. It's all his doing. It's all his grace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please stand as we confess our faith together through the words of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. On the third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From there he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. For the word of God to daily do its work of conversion in our hearts, that we may grow in faith and courage to proclaim the gospel, we pray to the Lord. Lord, Give thanks this week for the gift of new life, that God, the sower of the gift of life, may see each life welcomed and celebrated by all people and never trampled underfoot. We pray to the Lord. Lord, That I'll teach God's word in pulpits and classrooms and Bible.